0: Hello, it's Mike Richards here from the Treasury Recruitment Company. I hope you're enjoying the Treasury Career Corner. If you are, great news. Perhaps you give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcast content. This means that even more treasury professionals can benefit from finding out or by finding out about how treasurers have achieved their career goals. The link to rate our show will list at the bottom of our show notes. And please remember as well, the show itself is as much about you as it is about us there are specific questions you want us to ask or this feedback you want to give, please drop me an email. My direct email is mike at treasuryrecruitment.com, inventably enough. But anyway, that's enough from me. Let's get on with the show. So welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast, where I interview treasury professionals about their treasury careers. Each week, I talk to treasurers about how they built their careers, where they are now and where they see both themselves and the treasury profession going to next. This week, delighted by joined by a good old friend of mine, Topi Jokaranta from where well, he's currently the head of group treasury at Retig. As we uh, each showed my enunciation of uh, my Finnish, he's actually Finnish by background. And Rettig is a Finnish family-owned investment group with approximately well, Euro one billion of turnover and a variety of different investments, but. You know, we'll come on to that a bit later. Topic can explain that. You studied and then did national service and things. Talk us through then and how you came to London, Treasury and everything else. So give us, a, give us a kick off from there.
1: What happens obviously here in Finland is national service is compulsory. Roughly you do a year crawling in the forest. And then after that, most of people continue their studies. After that, studied in Amsterdam, BBA degree there, then moved to London. And that's really where the whole uh, Treasury
0: career started. Oh, yeah, wow. Well. And then, and you say you moved to London and you thought, oh, London wasn't too nice. Uh, let's, let's go to Bracknell or well, talk you through. Cause you actually started at Hewlett Packard. And before the show, we were saying that we've previously interviewed Connor Mar, who used to be at HP. And obviously there's a few other guys that have sort of gone HP and some of the similar places yourself, but how did that role come about and how did you hear about treasury? As part
1: of the studies, we had to work somewhere abroad. And I happened to do my work training as part of the studies at Hewlett-Packard. Through that, I ended up just contacting the same organization. And it, they have this European Treasury Center um, in the UK. And then I just got lucky and managed to uh, get my first tr- uh, treasury job there. It was cash management. It's really just learning the very basics. But it was great because, you know, there were many other fairly junior people there. And also then some seniors to guide you through, for example, corner was there at the same time and so that was the the first touch really to treasury systems and money markets a little bit of foreign exchange and all these things kind of started flooding in that was how i ended up there through um university really
0: and was treasury an accidental choice or had you heard about it before or did you think oh that's an area i want to be in because obviously that was was quite a while ago so it's still not in its infancy it'd been around for a while but you know we've said a lot of people get into treasury by accident a lot of the time
1: yes i think it was half accident i I majored in corporate finance so i wanted to do something to do with finance and i very nearly stayed in amsterdam i I wanted to have something to do with you know perhaps the stock market perhaps derivatives and uh, there there was a possibility to stay there and and uh, start learning and and work with options but then i thought "Hmm, perhaps um, i would prefer to work for a real company so i ended up actually then um in treasury a half accident, but then that turned out to be a very good accident, and I really haven't looked back since.
0: And then you joined Ray Christopher at Regis. So talk, talk us through some of the moves then that happened. That was
1: a fairly busy time. We built some uh, cash forecasting systems there. It was expanding very, very fast. They'd just gone public. This was before Regis. I joined.
0: Just explain Regis.
1: Yeah, this is Regis. Correct. Yeah, yes, Regis PLC, and 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 so it was really just learning to be a public company and, and really building various pieces of the treasury, expanding very fast. Some people could say even too fast. And then um, obviously that was also at the time when, um, <clears throat> when the 9-11 attacks happened and uh, Regis had a big flagship office um, in New York. So that was a very strange time that then caused um, real issues for the company. And that was a fairly short stint that I did there but i learned a lot because you know really it was myself and ray (laughs) uh, and then um, millions of things happening and so that was interesting to say the least but i learned a lot and that was probably the first time when i sort of uh, also understood that you know things might also go wrong things are not just sunshine and rosy all the way through and as a fairly junior guy i had to deal with you know issues with the banks and some pretty heavy discussions During that year, especially the sort of latter part of it, I think was a good experience in all the, you know, all the horrible um, things that happened around it. But um, I did learn a lot. Mm. And so I I don't think I'll ever forget that.
0: And then you moved on and you sort of by that stage, so you've been sort of treasury manager stroke analyst. But then you were, you know, you, you joined Diageo, you know, talk us through the moves and the progression there.
1: The idea was then a role when um, when I then wanted to get some more exposure to front office, foreign exchange, and really that's where I learned my foreign exchange the first time. It was a pretty big treasury, also a pretty sophisticated treasury, and I suppose that was a very different view in that, you know, we were at the head office doing big numbers, huge numbers of deals. Also, that was the infancy of foreign exchange dealing platforms. So, you know, things started to get more digital and less phones and more tapping on your computer. And so that was that was the first piece there. And as I said, you know, it was a big, big treasury. So you could see a lot of things going on, not just for an exchange, but you know, capital market stuff, very large accounting part that was happening there um, you know in the same office so again that was a very different treasury but again a great ground to learn because you had a lot of people and you had a lot of also senior experienced people to guide you through
0: what was jazier like you say he was sort of developing there you know what you know what transformation did you see because you did quite a lot of project stuff and you know a lot of progression for yourself
1: I enjoyed it, first of all, you know, it was great and it was a great company to work for. And so um, I think it had to, a lot to do with systems, treasury systems, dealing platforms and all of these things and that had a particular flavor to it. And so I did, I suppose, you know, the first time, again, there I had to be part of these teams, you know, that implemented these, you know, various systems. We also had a lot of fairly sophisticated analysis there. We, I remember we had a couple of PhD students there all the time running some pretty amazing models and and so it was a very different approach to financial risk and, and, and risk analysis and risk management and i suppose that's really you know working at the front office and then um, a little bit of capital markets there as well, bond issues and, and these kind of things, begins to give you a more rounded view of what are the different parts in a large treasury. It was pretty high pace as well. It was, things happened fast, a lot of things, big numbers. And so um, I, I guess, you know, it was part of the journey where you learn um, that there is a lot more that revolves around treasury, not just, you know, you and your desk and, and the immediate things you see, how things link together. Um, mm. I suppose.
0: And then you made the move. You've done three years at Diageo, and it was time for the next career move. Is that the right way to describe it?
1: Cadbury was looking to beef up their treasury. They also had a new treasurer, and, um, and they wanted to largely overhaul their financial risk management processes in treasury, again, to do with the treasury systems. And so um, that was an opportunity which was a little bit too good to decline.
0: Mm-hmm. so talk us through your roles there because you had good progression over what the next five years sort of thing with with cabaret and obviously it was changing a lot before it eventually got bought out by craft foods and things but talk us through when you what was it like when you walked in the door the first impression was that it was a little bit stuck
1: in its old ways and the need was there to to overhaul a lot of the processes, and that's really you know that sort of set the pace for the next year and a half or two. New systems, new risk management policies, or and you know rebuilding the team. And enjoyed a lot. There was a lot happening. A lot of M and A pieces as well. Some bits sold, mainly the drinks business, and then um, other bits bought. And again, getting a different view where you kind of have to dismantle all processes and you know rebuild them again and and that i enjoyed a lot i also then moved to singapore for a couple of years to really look after their asia pacific area and it was a regional setup so you know i suppose the head office was obviously in london but the regions were not necessarily that close to the head office, and so um, one of the reasons why I moved to Singapore then was to kind of, you know, pull some of the cash management things together, risk management, hedging processes, and um, if not establish those, there was a guy there before me who moved to Japan, and so the opening was there. So I kind of just continued what what, what this particular person had started setting up. And it was really just getting the visibility from the region to, to head office. But it was risk management. it was repatriation, taking you know, participating into these kind of projects. Uh, it, it did involve quite a lot of traveling just to make sure that you, know, you understand what was happening in, in all those countries. Yeah. good fun but there was a lot of traveling because really it was anything from japan to china india and then all the
0: way to australia and new zealand so that was a that was quite an area we spoke to chris emsley from general mills and he's you know down in actually singapore he's the Asia pacific treasurer there and he again talked through the sort of journey that they've been through and establishing new things and things what was it you know you say you took over from someone you came in you walked into this sort of Singapore office, but it sounds like they were doing stuff their own way, or how did you land there as this European guy that's just sort of, you know, and then work with the guys, or what was your ethos around, how did you make it work?
1: The regional office was set up some years ago before that, um, but it was mainly really set up by guys from Australia, because Australia was the biggest manufacturing base for the drinks and the confectionery at the time. What really was needed is just going through all the countries, just understanding what's happening in there and how to build up a process, almost like a a consultant approach to understand what's going on, what needs revision, and then implementing the revisions. Of course, you know, then just reporting back to the head office involved a lot of setting up risk management reporting and other things which could flow back and forth um, between London and and the region there but you have to mix the culture into it. Obviously, when you go to the region, and they focus a lot more on the operations, they're not really too, necessarily too fussed about what's going on at the head office, it's too far away. Uh, For a company of that size, it definitely is too far away. And and so my role was really just to make sure that the the treasury set up there develops and is much more under control when it comes to cash risk forecasting and also various things that you know had to happen there was a lot happening in india uh, it's not the easiest country with all sorts of regulations there was a lot happening in australia selling one of the drinks businesses repatriate big big repatriation projects mm-hmm. which we pushed through and so it's interesting to see the regional setups because you know it, it gives you an eye uh, it sort of reminds you that that's where the money is made mm. and they're much more concerned about selling stuff the operations the, the manufacturing everything else instead of the the typical things that happen at the head office and so that gave me the perspective that you know you really going to have to listen to the guys on the ground before you start dropping decisions on them yeah. be and mix the, <laughs> exactly and then you mix yeah. the cultural thing to that one thing is you know perhaps having a clear idea in your head what to do. But when it comes to implementing something in Japan, in Thailand, or in Australia, you have to do it in a very different way uh, in, in all these countries. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was an absolute stunning trip for for a couple of years, even though it was pretty busy. Lots of time on the plane. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then, then you decided you had enough time on the plane. It's time to come back to and work back in the UK. Or what, what prompted that? really was just a sick moment you know it, it was kind of agreed that it's about two
1: years and that that's really what it was then back to the head office and, and really we continued setting up the regional treasury at the same time when i was in the asia pacific uh, same thing was happening in, in in america's region same thing was happening in the emea and so we had two other regional treasurers who worked you know and, and did exactly the same sort of thing in all the regions and of course by the time i was back it was much more much more in control and so we could focus a little bit more on, you know, maybe leading it heavier from the, um, maybe that's not the right word, but, you know, having a better control from the head office and then focusing on other things you could layer on like cash pooling and other things which you could then develop. It was just a natural step to come back. And of course, by the time I came back, this takeover talk started with craft. First, it was friendly talk and then it turned hostile very quickly. And we know how it turned out and it was a bit of a shock to all of us how it really turned out. And so, before I left the craft treasury, if I remember right, was in Switzerland. And um, and then, of course, they wanted to consolidate a lot of the functional um, treasury work. I decided that that wasn't for me anymore that was the kind of natural time to then perhaps look for something else we also came back we came back from singapore just made it back before the before our second kid was born maybe that was another sort of natural point to kind of think well okay perhaps we'll uh, we'll do something else
0: yeah so, you completed your experience there, confectionery, consumer goods, and everything else, and then made another consumer move to retail, so to Tesco. So, talk us through that. And then, so you did Tesco, and then you decided to head back to Finland and stuff. But, talk, talk us through those couple of moves.
1: Yes, Tesco was a little bit like Cadbury. It was a story where a lot more visibility was needed. Instead of having regions, they had very, very large businesses in Eastern Europe and in Asia. Also, um, some in the US wasn't that big. But anyway, you know, the visibility in those businesses wasn't necessarily where it could have been. Yet some of the core processes with Tesco Bank and and the whole cash management and all that stuff was actually... um, very good and so again it was more of a story of you know trying to pull together and understand what's going on in the businesses and of course it did involve well not really that much hedging but you know a lot to do with funding and and forecasting and pulling that team together such that you could have visibility and lead it a little bit more efficiently from uh, from the head office
0: and you were international treasurer there so you were obviously dealing globally or what were the regions that you focused on
1: all the regions really. We had Eastern Europe and, of course, UK, that was big. Asia was big, South Korea, Thailand. Mm-hmm. And so we had a team member in Thailand. We had somebody in Hong Kong. Tesco was an interesting in the sense that it, they also had very large property business. Mm-hmm. Of course, they had to build these shopping malls. And what you would have in the UK is the shops, but in China, it was shopping malls. So mm-hmm. There was a massive property business which was booming, and that required quite a bit of. <laughs> quite a bit of attention because the numbers were big and it was mushrooming. So that was part, Eastern Europe was much more established, but regulations in various countries uh, make it a bit difficult. If you compare Hungary to UK or Poland to UK, then you kind of really have to understand what's going on in the ground. The businesses were really big. So you had to really have a pretty grasp of what's going on there. Oh. So that was, again, a sort of, ai wouldn't call it a project, but it was similar kind of tasks to understand what's going on there and pull it together for the head office to manage better.
0: And then you decided to head back to Finland. What happened? Well, family happened really. (laughs) By this
1: time, two small kids, uh, my wife had graduated. Uh, She she went back to uni when we were in London and really she wanted to really think about moving back. Working in London would have required a much bigger house, all pairs and all sorts of other things. And so, um, at the end of the day, I think it was a mutual decision to then perhaps come back here. Mm. Also, other family reasons, our parents obviously are not getting any younger. It was one of those decisions to come back and Finland, of course, us both being Finns, it was easy in the sense that, you know, it's, it's a bit of a reverse cultural shock, having been abroad quite a long time, but turned out well. What happened next was, was really just a, a long two-year project for an American company. Tell us about casting. Carestream was the medical business of Kodak. It was basically demerged from the troubled photos and and cameras business. But this was top-notch imaging business, which is to do with the x-rays or x-ray technology and various imaging technology. And again, a very different business in the sense they were present in huge amount of countries around the world, a pretty large business as well, about 2 billion uh, turnover. But it was different because most of the clients uh, that the company was selling to was either state or municipal um, authorities. Right. So really what my remit was to start a pretty big project, which was European Middle East um, liquidity management. So we basically did a European-wide project to pull the liquidity and cash management and cash pooling together and also implement a new treasury system at the same time. And so that was an all-out treasury capability build. And that turned out to be quite a project. easier because I knew my then boss and I had worked with her at the time when we were at Cadbury. So that was interesting because the customer base and the business was very, very different. It wasn't fast-moving consumer goods. This was now industrial healthcare stuff, high technology. And of course, Europe, Middle East was a huge amount of countries. And of course, the trick was at the time the European crisis was going on and so when you're selling stuff to Spanish, Italian and Greek states or, or municipalities, it wasn't necessarily that easy to actually get paid for your stuff mm-hmm. and so it added another twist to it in the middle of all this European crisis going on added another uh, layer of complexity to it. The project went well. Eventually, they established the Treasury Center in Amsterdam. By the time the project was done, came to a decision that, you know, I don't necessarily want to sit in Amsterdam just having come back a couple of years back. Yeah. So then it was basically time to wrap up that project and then think about perhaps working for somebody else.
0: And so you joined, as you say, your attic. Um, you, your Finnish accent a little bit better than mine, let's just say. <laughs> but obviously, they're a private group, so I don't want to intrude too much in it. But you know, family owned, private. But what what can you tell us about the group, or talk us through some of their sort of treasury setup, if you like.
1: Yes, indeed. And even though this is a private company, if you go into our website, you will find all the financial statements and everything else, just like any public company would actually publish them. So it's a very open company in that sense. This is a company which started off as way back, this is the, now the ninth generation that's running the company. The near history was shipping, freight ships, heating technology, and then um, line-based line mining but before that the company was actually in tobacco alcohol and sweets confectionery so you know again they've gone through many cycles of reinventing themselves and so currently the the latest change is that it's an investment company holding various investments in the portfolio The two biggest ones are heating technology, so radiators, underfloor heating, various other systems, which you would also find in the UK. Uh, For example, your mycin radiators would be from Rettig, Nordkalk is the mine, uh, the mining business, so it's basically limestone, which you then um, take and do various sort of things with it. And it really goes into other industrial processes, production of steel, construction, concrete. It goes to environmental processes, glass, chemicals, you name it. And so Rettig is the biggest European heating technology company. Then then Nordkalk is the biggest Nordic one and there are various others recently we've also diversified to healthcare so we now hold a, a very sizable stake in a, a finnish private uh, healthcare provider as well as some financial uh, in the financial sector we hold a, also a very sizable stake in a fund manager and corporate finance house called eq These are both listed companies, these two that I just mentioned. So there are privately owned, and then there are also stakes in listed companies. There are also various others. And so managing this, um, most of the Treasury is geared to service the industrial companies, which obviously are about 1 billion euro turnover in more than 20 countries, maybe European-centric, but also in China, Russia, Turkey, uh, a little bit of US, and, and of course all the European countries pretty much. Wherever you would need heating, <laughs> let's say. <laughs> I came in here and really there was a need to kind of update the processes, risk management policy and the processes, and overall treasury management and competence. A very small team, we are three, but again it's a very Nordic thing that, you know, we love technology. So uh, it's, it's very heavily relying on extremely efficient systems And then, of course, you know, you have to have pretty good talent because we can't really hire too many people to stay, you know, somehow sensible with the budgets. What we run here is a full in-house bank. It's payments and receipts on behalf of those units, providing all the foreign exchange, interest rates, commodity hedging services. Of course, then all the intercompany loans, all the external funding goes through here and supporting M&A activity, which is never ending in this company.
0: Now you've made you know you've had a number of moves and number of roles within PLCs and public companies and things like that, and then you've made the move to private. How would how have you found the contrast or the pros and cons, if you like, the advantages disadvantages? What you know, how would you describe that?
1: Public companies are a good it's a good school to understand how things are done usually. Quite well because you've got rules and regulations on what you can and cannot do. Also, the companies I work for were very, very big, and so you know those treasuries were top notch. That was a particular view. Private companies can be obviously they range from A to Z. Um, this this particular one when I joined was probably a little bit stuck in its ways, but the treasury department had some pretty good starts with technology and pretty good starts within you know, other processes size-wise this is a big company in the nordics but this is not a particularly big company if, if you put it to european or global context mm-hmm. but here we are a pretty sizable and i think things can move very very fast or they can move very very slowly <laughs> it depends really very much what the owners want and what kind of an agenda the owners want to implement and um, what happened here was you know again we had the generational uh, change our new ceo Came in uh, three years ago. He was, if I remember right, 36 years old at the time. He was part of the owning family, and then things obviously started to change pretty fast. Completely new gear, and and then things started happening very fast. And then the pace has continued over the past three years. Anything to do with funding and uh, these new investments, and so I suppose I enjoy the private side because you know, again, you're very close. At least we are here, very close to the actual owners we are in the same building we see them every day and they're very often in the same meetings you get to see how they think because you know this is their own money this is not uh, shareholders money in the stock market yeah. so you you tend to see that they can take very very long horizon in some decisions they they can they can behave uh, sometimes in a different way compared to a listed company in our case it's a strength because we can get into investment cases. We don't have a set exit date. We don't have to behave like a PE fund. And so it gives us a a different kind of an approach to investing uh, into into new things and looking at our portfolio companies. Mm. But then the downside, of course, is, you know, you can't afford to stay and, and, you know, expect that you know now that we're in here you know fine let's just run these businesses so the same rules apply you have to reinvent yourself every couple of years in order to stay competitive and in that sense doesn't really change Mm. it's not any
0: different to a PLC and just you talked there and touched on you know that they have this ethos around technology and things where do you see technology and where do you see the future Treasury recently spoke to Ronan from Honeywell and he was talking about AI automation and lots of different things like that is that something coming on for you guys or are you going different direction or what was technology doing for you
1: when i refer to technology it's really using the available treasury systems in the in-house bank engine we use a finnish provider uh, electronic invoicing when it comes to that side of things and so artificial intelligence and robotics and all that not necessarily that takes a bit of time it can also take a, a a a big investment in the sense that at least you need some people to learn how to do that and then teach the others. What we focused on is really taking the products in the market and without customizing anything. I mean, customizations are kind of software houses don't really want to do that. And we wouldn't really have the budgets to kind of, you know, take a system and then customize it for our needs. So what we've done is, you know, make the most of the systems, but then develop the processes and fine tune the processes so we can get by with three people and service the whole group uh, right. with full in-house banks. Just taking the systems and pushing those to the limits. We also take a take an approach that you know things are very modular. It's not just one system that does everything we pick maybe two, three systems, and then we use the bits from those which are best fit for a particular process. And then we make those systems talk to each other. And that, I think, is the recipe that's been successful for us. So, you know, picking three or four core systems Uh, using the best bits from them and then just um, having them talk to each other. And then I suppose we've got some robotics or AI, but really it's some automation which we've done with bits of middleware where we can consolidate and retrieve information and basically turn it into understandable information very fast. So supplementing the systems with some customized things, but they are not... I mean, it's mostly Excel-based, but you can do a lot in that system if, if yeah. you use cleverer people to help you.
0: Just looking back over your your career and your history, if you like, one of the things I, I noticed here was your ethos or attitude to study. You know, we'll come on to the, some of the people that are there with you and, you know, recruitment ideas. But when you're looking or when, when you look back over your career, rather – You've got treasury qualification. You've also then most recently studied you know, relatively recently for an MBA. What, why go to all the effort? What do you think that gives you? And then does that then influence you when you're looking for people and recruiting that you've got those things in your back pocket as it were?
1: I enjoy studying. It's one of those things that it's, it's always one of these things when you go back and uh, you have clever professors who might be going through things that you've studied before. But again, it's a refresher to start with. Second of all, you know you do always learn something new. So the treasury, the ANCT, as it was called back then, was an absolutely key thing because it really gives you the theory and the hardcore of you know what this whole thing revolves around. So that's actually something I'm putting my team through as we speak. Not very common in Finland. Not many people have done it or are doing it in Finland but these two guys are doing it. And and I think they will be very, um, very surprised by the time, you know, they're finished with it. It's a really good degree. MBA was another, um, it's a completely different thing, you know, where you would have maybe 20 20 people there from completely different backgrounds, top professors from the best universities. And so it gives you um, theoretical depth, but it also gives you the opportunity to go through problems You know, if you've got 20 people in the room, you get 20 different approaches. It teaches you that, you know, there are many, many ways of solving the same problem and thinking about various angles. MBA is usually quite a bit of work, and it was quite a bit of work. But I enjoyed it because it gave me contacts. You know, I know a lot more people and I also understand how the business works in this country. This is Rettig is actually the first Finnish company I work for. So <laughs> yeah. it was one of the one of the twists. But NBA gives you a completely different angle. Is it worth it? I think it is, but if you do it you have to go really all in. It's no point sitting there for, you know, half of the lectures and then uh, you really kind of have to use the time and max, max the time and invest in it. And then it gives you a lovely payback yeah. by way of understanding things. And so when I look at people, as I said, we're a pretty small team. We have to have clever people, but it doesn't mean I have to have people who've been doing treasury for 30 years. No, it means I have to have people who can complement each other and also are hungry to learn things and also uh, take ownership that's one of the big things which needs to happen in a small team is there needs to be rotation, there needs to be ownership if it doesn't really work, a small team can't function
0: and how do you assess that if you're you know maybe if you're looking for new people and things how how can you how can they prove that they're sitting there in front of you, you're interviewing them, but you know, oh, I took ownership of this I, well yeah, prove it to me or how how do you sort of get them to you know justify as it were
1: that that is a difficult one always. I don't think there's a silver bullet and, uh, first of all you need to have enough candidates you know and sourcing is of course one of the things which were traditionally you know you kind of ask for some help from the recruitment agencies and of course you know you get the pretty good pre-screening at that point we used also some recruitment companies t- for for testing these guys, you know, general test uh, interviews, and that sort of gives you a short list. References, I did a lot of calling around their previous managers, previous companies, okay. uh, other colleagues who may have worked with them. And so you kind of have to um, find the pieces of the puzzle. Ultimately, I still believe in the old-fashioned interview process, not 15 rounds, but, you know, two, maximum three, mm. but if you take enough time and you set the environment such that you can have a good discussion, not necessarily just going through the CV and, and sort of a, a formal engineering approach, but, you know, having a discussion, talking about examples, completely random things, you begin to get a pretty good sense of these people and what they're like. Are they sociable? Have they had drive? Do they have drive? Why do they want to work for you? This particular company, perhaps I'm old-fashioned, but you know I still think the actual interviewing process has a big part in it. Mm. And generally speaking, we get very good in our know, treasury. Is not a, a big area in Finland. Obviously, we only have so many companies that need a treasury department per se, but. But you get very good candidates, um, many engineering backgrounds, um, also more traditional economics, corporate finance people. And then there is a big split. Um, Either you work for a bank or you work for a corporate. Mm -hmm. I suppose it works that way also in London. And so uh, through these putting these pieces together, you get a pretty good idea on what you're looking for. And then, of course, you need a bit of luck. Top talent uh, is, is, I suppose, relatively easy to find by way of formal education, but then finding that person who's able to take ownership take things and execute things and uh, and also you know (laughs) actually then finally being sociable yeah you need a bit of luck but so far i have an extremely good team and and we were very very lucky to get these hungry young guys who um, are all of these things that i mentioned
0: but I think also you take, as you describe it there, you've you know, built up a picture of them, not just a snapshot at an interview. As you said, you looked at lots of different sources of reference, as it were. So evidence from past employers, past bosses or people that you know, you, you know in common, maybe that then that's helped you build up a, a better picture of them rather than just. All oh, right. Great interview today. Thanks. Yeah. Offer them the job. It's much wider than that from the sounds of it.
1: And it needs to be because you know treasury is not—it's not a huge market here in Finland. It's a very specialist area. People usually want to work in treasury unless they're very, very junior. They do tend to know the basics, and that helps. And then what you then have to do is speak from the pieces, specific expertise.s So one in the current team, you know, there's there is more of an accounting strength there, and the other one is more market uh, hedging and and risk management. Geared and then if they both have to learn these things and rotate and then perhaps I bring other things to the table Which I can then teach them and so it's also trying to find then some specific expertise and strengths which you can put together mm. uh, But as the team is pretty small, you know They have to accept it from the beginning that you know They will have to do things which they may not necessarily like or it's not necessarily something which is which which is their strength but they will get exposure to those things. And that's the magic thing is getting exposure. I find when you give these guys sufficient challenges, they seem to work harder and really because they understand they're going to learn in the process themselves.
0: Okay. And as we wrap up today's show, I spoke to Toppy before and we, we got permission again to, we'll put his LinkedIn profile on the show notes so you can connect there. That's with all of our shows. Someone goes on there, they look at your background, they look at the successful career you've had from Diageo, Cadbury's, Tesco's, Carestream, and now Rettig. you've obviously got great corporate treasury background. If someone looks at it and said, actually, that's what I want. Looking back over it and in summary of you, what would you say, what advice would you offer those looking at it? Well, the first is the study bit. You go through the sufficient
1: training, for example, the uh, corporate treasurer's training. That's always good. But then it's also looking at the various opportunities. Sometimes be a bit adventurous. Somebody offers you things. Maybe you have to relocate. That's not, I mean, it's always a bit of a hassle, but it tends to be easier when you're young. And so you should try and do that, you know, before the whole family thing steps into the picture and another thing is if you are moving jobs then the next one should be something which is new don't don't move from one job to another where where you know you do the same thing always try and find another focus and build a rounded experience in treasury because then if you're able to work in all of those different areas of treasury then that after a while gives you a much more rounded experience which you can apply Instead of becoming a deep specialist in some area, you're able to approach things in a more holistic way. And I suppose that's what I tried consciously doing, because it went pretty well, but I did enjoy the ride around the world, and I would thoroughly recommend it to anybody. If there is a chance, then take up those various opportunities, even though it might look a bit scary, or it might not be the thing that you've done before, but then the whole point is to learn new things. Mm. Yeah, it's hard work, but, you know, it's very satisfying when you then get the opportunity to do something you haven't done before.
0: So don't be afraid to take the risk and, and, and go and do
1: it. Absolutely, yes. Situations change and, you know, economic cycles change. But I tend to believe that if you do your job well, it'll be well placed. And if you get this rounded experience, you know, you'll do even better.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Toppy. I know that I'm going to be seeing Toppy later this year at the Treasury Leaders Summit. So we're going to be attending that and uh, can't wait to catch up with him for a couple of beers and a thank you for being on the show. All that remains for me to say is thank you very much, sir, and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Indeed.
1: Thanks very much, Mike.